Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. The holidays are just around the corner, and it's time to be thinking about getting those perfect gifts for family, friends, or maybe even for yourself. We have the perfect opportunity for you to take care of that shopping list and support ACB Media at the same time. It's the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Join us on Sunday, November 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Zoom or on ACB Media. You can bid on great, unique items like handmade crafts, collectibles, technology, and food including those wonderful baked goods and a whole lot more. If you want to get a jump start on things, the Sneak-A-Peak Appetizer Auction is also back this year on November 25th and 26th. Watch your email for more details or contact Leslie Spoon. Her email address is lesliespoon at cfl.rr.com. We'll see you Sunday, November the 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific at the ACB Media Holiday Auction. Happy bidding! As older adults with vision loss, we understand your fears, your frustrations, and feelings of isolation. The Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss is here to help you as you pursue the independent lifestyle you deserve. For more information, visit www.aavl-blind-seniors.org or call 916-995-3967 for more information. AAVL, a supporter of the ACB Media Network. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallan. The Chicago Lighthouse and Illinois Institute of Technology have joined forces. They're taking on a special research project. The project is an intracortical visual prosthesis. The intracortical visual prosthesis, or ICVP, compensates for blindness. The ICVP stimulates the brain's visual centers, and the prosthesis produces visual images for blind users. Here to talk about the ICVP are co Principal Investigator, Dr. Frank Lane. Principal Investigator, Dr. Philip Troik, an ICVP participant advocate member of American Council of the Blind of Metro Chicago, Mary Abramson. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Glad you're all here. Tell us about yourselves. <clears throat> well, okay, I'll start off. Um, I'm uh, the Principal Investigator of the project which includes eight institutions, including the Lighthouse and the Illinois Institute of Technology. I'm an um, electrical engineer by training who became a biomedical engineer, and it's always been a fascination for me to think about marrying electronics with the, um, with the human body. And for those of us in that field, which is known as neuroprostheses, having a visual prosthesis, particularly one that's brain-based, has always been kind of a holy grail of a sensory prostheses. Frank? Thanks, Phil. Uh, I am currently uh, an, an associate professor of psychology at Illinois Institute of Technology, and I became involved in this project back in 2009 um, and instantly became interested in it. And so I've been working on the project since that time. Mary, would you like to go? 
Yes, this is Mary Abramson. I'm retired from the Chicago Lighthouse, and I do a lot of volunteering in the Chicago area, and I'm getting more involved with my ACB affiliate, and I'm really fascinated by uh, being the participant advocate for the ICVP because it's very high-tech and uh such a unique, different approach. And I'm, you know, beginning to really understand better from the uh, participants' perspective about uh, what they're going through and how they feel about the study, because I've always had low vision, but now I have no vision and no light perception. So as the participant advocate, I'm trying to be a good listener and facilitate getting answers for the participants and really speaking out from the blind person's perspective. All right. So, Dr. Lane, how did the Chicago Lighthouse come up with the idea to develop the new device? Well, actually, I think I'm going to refer that to Dr. Troy, um, because I think he can better answer that question. Okay. Well, uh, the Chicago Lighthouse is one of our partners, and um, the idea for uh, intracortical stimulation in a device known as the intracortical visual prosthesis actually dates back to about 1970 at the National Institutes of Health. Uh, and this came on the heels of some work that had been done in the United Kingdom in which surface electrodes that were placed on the surface of the brain were used uh, to stimulate the brain for the purpose of trying to do vision perception. Intracortical means into the cortex, and the electrodes, as we'll explain later, are tiny micro-sized electrodes that actually penetrate the brain. So the idea for this has a very long history uh, many people have actually dedicated their careers to it, and we're actually honored to uh, to be the uh, inheritors of this project. And now, having brought it to actual fruition in a clinical trial with our first participant, the Illinois Institute of Technology got the grant from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders, its brain initiative, for conducting the early feasibility study of the ICVP. Dr. Troy, how did the Institute speak out to receive this very, very important grant? Well, it was actually the culmination of several funded projects, uh, some by the National Institutes of Health, some by the Department of Defense, some by private donors, and that dates back to 2000 when um, our team actually assumed the leadership role for this a very important project and uh, the brain initiative uh, funding opportunity was notable in that um, the program under which we applied was uh, seemed to be almost exactly designed for what we wanted to do which was a proof of concept early feasibility of this emerging novel device. And uh, we're proud to say that it's uh, one of the largest uh, clinical trials being funded under the BRAIN initiative the, at the NIH. And um, a lot of work went into the development of the proposal. A lot of thinking went into how the program would be structured. And um, everyone on our team feels very honored now to be leading this project. We want to focus more on the prosthesis here, Dr. Troik. Tell us what the device is composed of. 
So <clears throat> what's unique about uh, this system, and I wouldn't really call it a device, because it's really a group of small wireless modules that are about the size of a pencil eraser that are implanted uh, into the brain and for which there are tiny little electrodes that penetrate from the from these devices. Each electrode, the tip of it is small enough that 10 of them could fit on the tip of a human hair. So these are very small electrodes. The little modules are about the size of a pencil eraser if you would cut it off. They're very thin. And each module has the ability to communicate with the electrodes wirelessly across the scalp with no wires that cross the scalp. And with a group of these little modules, it forms a type of little cell phone network that's in the brain. And we're able to call up electrodes. We're able to tell them how much to stimulate the brain cells that are in the location of those electrodes. And it's a very novel concept. It's the only one of its type that's completely wireless. And um, in our most recent participant, we now have 400 electrodes that are in 25 devices, which is the largest number of electrodes of this type that's ever been implanted in the human brain. So the intracortical visual prosthesis, as I understand, has got this group of small wireless implantable stimulator modules. Now, what information do the stimulator modules communicate? So the modules receive wireless power and commands through the scalp from a transmitter of the device that's placed on the scalp. And basically, the information that they receive is for each electrode, how much electrical current to inject into the brain at that location. How we stimulate those electrodes will be determined by how an image is captured by a camera. So what we're attempting to do is to translate the image of a camera into electrical signals that communicate with the brain in the region of the brain that normally processes vision. So it's a type of camera technology interface to communicate images directly to the occipital region of the brain. And so, essentially, we've got this unique video camera that's directly connected to the human brain. Now, I also understand that each of the little modules are called WFMAs. This is no radio station call letters. These are wireless floating microelectrode arrays. How do those wireless floating arrays, Dr. Choik, receive their power and those important digital commands? So it's done magnetically. <clears throat> there is a magnetic coil that is placed on the surface of the scalp. There's no connector. There's no penetration through the scalp. And so using magnetic powering, similar to the magnetic charging that we have now become familiar with for our uh, cell phones and mobile devices, there is wireless power that is transmitted to each of these tiny devices that is just the diameter of about a pencil eraser, they receive that power over what's called this inductive link, 
just like your cell phone receives power from your wireless charger. And then we use that same wireless link in order to send communication to the devices, much like a cell phone receives communication when you are uh, accessing the web or receiving a call. Dr. Troik, so we have all the components now. What's the whole sort of process for the um, ICVP in terms of creating those visual images in the brain? Well, this is the primary question, The to coin a phrase, the $64,000 question that we're really trying to get at in this clinical trial that we're doing because no one really knows how exactly to communicate with the language of the brain through implanted electrodes in order to cause the brain to perceive the essence of an image. So the brain isn't like a little television camera or tube in your head or a computer monitor. It's a very complex neural machine. And what we're trying to do is to stimulate or tickle that neural machine and create perceptions that normally would get created by signals that would come neural signals from the retina through the optic nerve to the brain. We're bypassing the retina and optic nerves. We're going directly to the brain. But to do that, we have to speak the language of the brain. And in part of this trial, we're trying to understand what that language is and how useful vision information could be transmitted to the brain so the brain itself forms the perception, which we typically call vision. Now, prosthesis might ultimately create a crude visual perception of the image. And and the perception might not be like what we normally see, but it might benefit the user when just performing simple day-to-day tasks. Dr. Lane, if a person had vision prior to getting the new prosthesis, would it be easy for that person to use a device? Well, in fact, the the um, participant needs to have been sighted at least to age 12 in order for the visual cortex to be sufficiently developed. Um, and in order for the device to work. So, in fact, yes, um, the, you know, having been cited before is um, is very important. Yeah, and I can add to that that um, we don't know for certain, but we hypothesize that if the individual had not had prior vision up to uh, about the age of 10 or so, that um, the visual cortex, that portion of the brain for processing vision, wouldn't have developed in the same way as a person who did have vision. And so we're trying to manipulate that portion of the brain. And normally you have about uh, 10 million connections that go to each side of your brain that start at the retina and go through the optic nerves. We can maybe have a thousand electrodes. So you can imagine that our communication will be very crude for artificial vision compared to vision as uh, some of your listeners here may remember it. Now, Dr. Lane, is it possible for the patient to remember what things looked like? These are objects like such as a bus if he or she lost his or her vision decades ago. 
Well, what we hear from people who are blind is that they do remember those images. Um, and so Dr. Troy can speak to this uh, more thoroughly, but um, the idea is that um, the after receiving um, the impulses from the implants, um, that the the brain would be able to um, uh, recall what some of those images were. And it might not be important, for example, the for a bus, as you say, it might not be important to communicate uh, the perception of a bus as the person actually remembered it, but they could learn a new pattern of artificial vision that now to them, even with their natural vision loss, is recognizable for them as a bus. So, I do stress this is artificial vision, but it's surprising what individuals who have received brain implants have done with just a very small amount of information. They actually learn to do tasks that are visually guided, and they learn to do them quite quickly and quite efficiently. So we are optimistic about what this type of interface could ultimately provide to people who don't have natural vision. Ms. Abramson, <clears throat> what are the blind saying about the new prosthesis? Well, the folks that I've connected with, uh, especially those of us who are, you know, belong to the uh, techie groups, blind information technology specialists and so forth, they find it very fascinating because it's such a new and different approach to uh, adaptive technology. You know, up to now, everybody's been trying to create these audio devices that'll take a picture of something and, and translate it into something that we can hear or into braille or raised lettering and so forth. But this is going to be a whole different approach in that now we're trying to translate the visual world into a visual image. And I think for people that remember and understand what it is to have normal vision, this is really, really important to them because they can't forget what things look like. And I'm kind of hypothesizing that maybe that's why people who have had vision have so much trouble learning Braille or enjoying listening to an audio book because they don't they they don't see that as being as good as when they could actually see it themselves. So, you know, a lot of blind people are wanting to follow this. We're hoping to get a big exhibit at the convention next year and it will be well attended. You know, almost half of our brains is dedicated to processing vision in some form or another. It's not surprising that just as, as biological entities that vision as a perception, as an experience has such importance to us. And did they suggest any improvements to the prosthesis? It's all? part of our project to actually have our participants, um, be active, real participants in the 
configuring of the technology and the design of the technology. So it's very important that we get this type of user input. We, we liken our, our participants to like to astronauts who are going to a place where no one's been before and reporting to us what it's like. So their input is essential to the development of this technology. So you mentioned the special research project taking place to study the intracortical visual prosthesis's effectiveness. Tell us more about the project and how our listeners might apply to be subjects. Frank? Well, individuals who'd like to get more information about um, the project itself can contact us in a number of different ways. The main website is on the Chicago um, Chicago Lighthouse website, and that URL is chicagolighthouse.org forward slash ICVP. That's chicagolighthouse.org forward slash ICVP. And on that website, there are um, audio recordings that individuals can listen to on educational sessions and a variety of other, inf- you know, types of information, um, podcasts that we've, um, done in the past, um, that individuals can listen to. They can also send us an email at icvp.iit.edu. That's icvp at iit.edu. We check that email address um, uh, daily. And so uh, anyone who um, contacts us that way and inquires, um, we respond within 24 hours. Are there any estimates as to when this technology is going to be available to the whole blind community? You know, for the past 22 years, we were always saying uh, we're five years away from testing it in a clinical trial. Um I'm pleased and proud to say that we are now testing it in a clinical trial. So when it might, when this technology might evolve to the point where it could be commonly available to the blind community is probably further out than, than five years. But uh, we are actively um, recruiting uh, participants now in the project. So members of the blind community who would like to participate um, let us know if you go to clinicaltrials.gov, if you see the requirements that we have, or even if you're just curious, please contact us. The more experience we can have, the faster it could be available on a more common basis. Everybody, thanks for coming on the show today and working to improve vision for all blind and visually impaired folks. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind, or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website at speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under the list of episodes and show news tab. In my show archive, visit speaking-out-for-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening. And remember to speak out. Join me, Brian McCallan, on Speaking Out for the Blind. I interview blind newsmakers to inspire the population to go for their dreams. Speaking Out for the Blind airs Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern on ACB Media One. 
Hello, this is Dan Spoon, President of the American Council of the Blind. I just want to give a big hip, hip, hooray out there to our tremendous membership that does such a great job. Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.